0: As a therapist, I am convinced that we can create more healthy, intimate relationships in our lives. The problem is, is most of us live in fear and we have a hard time with trust. And we have a hard time figuring out how to take charge of our life rather than letting it take charge of us. And so one of the things that has excited me about what we've been able to do in these classes so far is I've been able to talk with you about overcoming a fear of intimacy, talking about reaction sequences and how to overcome those. And then in class three, I talked about four different types of intimacy. In review, let me summarize those. I talked about physical intimacy. I talked about emotional intimacy, I talked about verbal intimacy, and then I talked about intellectual intimacy. Now, those are four of the six types of intimacy that I have identified that help couples and individuals strengthen their relationship skills so they can succeed. I I I related to a quote uh, by Dr. David Snarch, who said that intimacy is about developing our skills and our abilities. And so today I'm going to share with you two More types of intimacy. And in particular, as I talk about these two, I believe that these are literally the core or the foundation stone of what makes the other types of intimacy function. So I will be talking about those two types of intimacy and just a heads up on what those are. The first is spiritual intimacy, and the second is what I call psychological intimacy. And that is something that many people struggle with, is what I call psychological intimacy. And I will define that and get in depth of what that actually is. So as we Begin let me let me start off by just sharing with you a thought most human beings live far below their intimacy potential I want you to think about that for a second most individuals live far below their intimacy potential now why would that be the case is it because of fear is it because we struggle to trust people we are afraid of being hurt by people and what i want to say is this if your fears have dictated your life then what you have to do is you have to step back from those fears and ask yourself a question. Why am I letting fear guide my life rather than working and striving to create what I know can work? Because I have just given you in this class, previous class, I talked about four types of intimacy. Those are the types of intimacy that if you work on those and with the combined with the types of intimacy that I talk about today, then you yourself will be proactive in your relationships. But you also have to identify people who are unhealthy and be able to identify people who are healthy and people who aren't healthy. And I'll be talking a little bit more about that. But let me begin now. Let's talk about the concept of spiritual intimacy. I was in Nebraska, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and I had a very good professor who I had the opportunity to work with. His name is Dr. John Dufresne. He's been doing research on what makes families succeed and he's gone all around the world. He's been to small countries, big countries, United States. He's been over to Asia. He's been to Europe. I mean, his, his, his research has been covered the globe. And here's what he's discovered, which is very interesting. One of the six key elements of successful people all over the world is that they have some type of religious or spiritual belief that guides their lives and their behaviors. Whether you're Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Jew, Catholic, does not matter your religion. Simply doesn't matter. Religion is a core part of what makes couples and families succeed. Doesn't matter the religion. What it is, is a belief and an action upon those beliefs. It's not just ha- saying that I'm of this religion. It's being actively involved in whatever that religion is that, that strengthens couples and strengthens families. So it's it's a shared religious belief and value system. So I share that with you because, you know, some people say, well, what, you know, religion isn't important to me. Well, you know what? If religion isn't important to you, there's, there's, you know, that's a personal choice you have. But even Dr. Um, Martin Seligman in his work, he, have, he has found that people who practice their religious beliefs are more happy. People who practice their religious beliefs are more happy. Okay. So what, what I'm saying here is if, if religion is a part of you, let's now make sure that it is a part of your relationship and and And, as a couple, you work together a few years ago, I was in Orlando, and I was attending a conference by uh she's uh, in omaha uh She works on a program called Focus. What focus is is it's a premarital assessment for couples before they get married to help them assess what their relationship and her name is Barbara Markey. And she said something very interesting. She said, it's not necessarily that people have a religion, it's that they practice the religion, that actually when two people are equally yoked in the religion and, and they both have the similar religious goals, they they begin to have a stronger bond or unifying thing. But if one does and one doesn't, even if they're of the same religion, it can create problems. So that's a very important part. And if they're of different religions, if they're both practicing that religion, they can have still have a healthy relationship. The reason why is because what occurs is these people are practicing what they believe, whatever that may be. And most religions teach us to have patience and to be forgiving and to have good problem-solving skills, to love, to be kind. And those are the kind of things that make relationships work. So the concept of spiritual intimacy, it's it's being able to share our common beliefs and values one with another. So if you are a religious person, and you cannot share your spiritual impressions or your religious beliefs or what you believe with your partner, you're going to have some problems. And the reason why is because that part of you is going to be un – you're not going to be able to express that with your partner or your spouse. And that can create relationship problems because that that part of you, whatever part, how much ever a part of you it is – is not going to be something that you're going to be able to share with your significant other. And that creates problems in relationships. And and you can't ignore that or you can't avoid it. It's just a fact. I have some very good friends who are one spouse is religious and the other one is not. And they struggle at times because they're unable to communicate things that really matter one with another. So spiritual intimacy is being able to share those things together. And sometimes that comes about in being able to attend religious meetings together. How about praying together? I I really believe that praying together is one of the most powerful things that couples can do together to strengthen and enhance the bond. Can you imagine uh, couples who are struggling, kneeling down and praying, and the prayer that's offered is something like this. I'm struggling with my spouse right now, and I'm having a hard time feeling love. It's not that I don't love her or love him. It's just that I'm having a hard time, and I want to. Please help me to be more loving. What would that mean to the spouse? What would that mean to the spouse? It would mean an awful lot because they heard you trying to pray for greater strength to love them. It's a form of spiritual intimacy, and it's one of the most powerful forms of intimacy that you can create as a couple. So suggestions on how to increase that would be attending religious meetings together, praying together, or even sharing your spiritual thoughts or impressions I was talking with a couple recently who was talking about where they live and they thought, you know, we, for some reason, we just feel this strong impression. Both of us feel the strong impression that we need to move to this other state. And in talking with them, it was a matter of they both felt it together and they, and they worked together and looking at them, the energy in their eyes were, were scared to death to move, but were excited for this opportunity. So they were willing to do that together. So that's one part of spiritual intimacy: is where the couples they they share their thoughts one with another, and they come up with a strategy. Now, another form of spiritual intimacy comes not only in our families, but in in our in, environment. I was part of an experience uh, that happened to me a year ago. I was uh, I, I'm a religious leader in my uh, local area, and we had uh, a tragedy occur. And one of our ward members one of our one of the people that comes to our church. He was involved in a plane accident that killed him, and 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 this is a very powerful story. Uh, I received a phone call. I just come back from a jog. I, I was jogging, preparing. Uh, actually, was had been had just run the marathon, but was preparing for preparing for some other races. And so I, I'd been out running. I'd get up at six and go for my jog. I come back about seven o'clock, and there's a message on my phone. So I get this message and call up the family, and and his wife told me that uh, her husband had been in a plane accident and killed. And so I quickly showered and dressed and and got over to her house. And as I entered the house, there was just an incredible feeling of peace an incredible, incredibly powerful feeling. And as, as we kneeled down and as we, we said a prayer together and as we prayed, there was just this incredible comfort that came upon us. And, and I I can't describe it other than say it was a, a shared experience. Now, it's hard for people outside of that experience to understand. They can feel the tragedy or the loss of, of of this good man, and he was. He was a very good man, and what occurred was so interesting. That day as I drove around the neighborhood uh, on my way home, there were a lot of people outside, and, and just in talking with him, there was this heavy weight and this heavy oppression upon all of us. I mean, every one of us felt the weight of this loss. And yet, at the same time, there was a peace and a comfort that that, that surrounded that home. Over the next few days, I went to their, their home multiple times, multiple times, and every time I went there, there was this this feeling of peace and a feeling of comfort, even though they were struggling with some real challenges. It took the the rescue workers three days to find the bodies of these individuals, and the, but the peace that came upon this family, I cannot describe it to an outsider. Other than to tell you that I know every time I went into this home, these people were strengthened with peace. Now, I've asked this lady for permission to tell this story because I want you to understand. I want you to understand literally what I'm sharing with you today is is one of those experiences that creates spiritual intimacy. I mean, that is an experience that suppose I couldn't share that at all. Or suppose that you can share that kind of experience with your spouse or somebody that you care deeply about. That would limit the closeness in your relationship because that part of you, you can't share one with another. But I share it with you because I want you to understand that when we share those intimations of the heart, we share those experiences, we create a deeper level of intimacy with one another. And that's what I call spiritual intimacy. There's a story by Viktor Frankl, which is a very powerful story. He was in a concentration camp. And, you know, after being in the concentration camp, if you've ever read his book, it's a phenomenal book, but he says this, he said, if I had chosen, I could have died. Basically, he had been through so much pain and so much hurt, kicked, beaten, bruised, abused, and he had no clue whether his wife was living or dead. But an experience that he shared, which was so powerful, he said this, he said, as I I was Walking with one of my buddies, I mean, literally, we were holding each other up. We were walking where we would spend the whole day digging a ditch, the whole entire day digging a ditch. He said, as, as we began walking, my friend said to me, if only our wives could see us now. And he said, that took my thought to my wife. And for the next bit, as we marched towards where we were going to be working during the day, I sat there and I contemplated about my wife and I contemplated about the memories that we had shared together and, and those experiences, those loving intimations of my heart. And he said, whether she was alive or dead, and this is the powerful part, whether she was living or dead, those memories of her stuck in my mind and helped me through my difficult time. And finally, I woke up when one of the guards hammered his butt of his gun into the guy ahead of me because he had fallen down. And I, and it took me back. But then we helped this guy get back up and they continued on their march. And he said, but my mind went back to my wife. He said, had I, known now, had I known then that she was dead, it would not have changed my perception and the memories that I had of her because I knew that I would see her again. Now, as I consider that, he had created those pleasant, positive memories with his wife, regardless of whether she was living or dead. He, his memories in his mind brought him contentment and brought him peace. Spiritual intimacy, then, is something that couples not only share together, it's the positive memories that they create that they are able to, unified, in a unified manner, share with each other and feel unified in their actions, one with another. That's spiritual intimacy. I, I, I want to just uh, add this other part. When we understand the concepts of spiritual intimacy then we have another tool to enhance our relationship commitment and our satisfaction in the relationship because we're focusing on the spiritual elements of, of who we are. And most again, most people are spiritual, and I encourage you to work to share those experiences together. Not long ago, I was talking with a friend, um, actually somebody who called me from Michigan, and uh, he, was, he was struggling in his, his different issues and his challenges. He was struggling with a problem. And he called up and he said, I, I've got a, this it's just as challenging. And I've read your book, one of my books, and he said, I'm, I'm trying to overcome some of my personal challenges. But one of the things that I found that's been very beneficial for my wife and I is that we've been uh, attending our, I went back to our Catholic church and I've been attending our meetings. And as he said, as we've participated in those meetings, it's brought my wife and I closer to each other and we feel we feel a better bond one with another. And I share that with you because I want you to understand that there's a tremendous power in going and attending religious meetings together and sharing what you experience at those meetings together. That goes back to the concept of sharing verbal intimacy. And it's something that you can do that's a spiritual part of who you are. And so I encourage you to focus on increasing the spiritual intimacy in your relationship together. Now, Those are the first five types of intimacy. Today, I've primarily focused on the spiritual. In the previous one, I talked about the other four. Now, I want to transition into what I believe is at the core of why people do or do not create intimacy in the relationships. And if if this next form of intimacy is not a part of your relationship, you will have problems. I guarantee it. It's not a matter of if you will have problems. It is a matter of when you will have problems. The concept is titled psychological intimacy. I can't find it anywhere else in the literature, so it's something that uh, that I've created from my own research and also some from some of the findings that I've done in, in looking at the works of other people of what create healthy relationships. The concept is what I call psychological intimacy, and there's four key elements that go along with psychological intimacy. The first has to do with trust. Trust is something that we feel in our minds it's not something that we can visibly touch. It's something that occurs in the relationship. It's it's the trust in each other. It is something that if you have trust, you can then open up more freely with your partner or spouse or with your friends or whoever it may be. The next type of intimacy is what I call honesty or the ne- next form of psychological intimacy is honesty. If you aren't honest one with another, then you're going to not trust each other. And you're not going to know whether the person is dependable, whether they're reliable, whether they're consistent. And if you aren't dependable and you aren't reliable and you aren't consistent, then that form of honesty or lack of honesty will prevent you from creating psychological intimacy. The other part is loyalty. And the fourth part is commitment. If you put those four areas into your relationship, you would have what I would call a psychologically healthy relationship. Now, think about sexual intimacy. If a couple's having problems with sexual intimacy, it's probably because one of these forms of psychological intimacy have been betrayed. The trust is gone. Honesty is missing. There's a question of how committed you are to the relationship. And who wants to have sex with someone that they don't know is committed to them? Who wants to open up their heart and share their verbal intimations with somebody that they don't know is being honest with them or truthful with them? So if we don't have psychological intimacy, I promise you, you will have problems in the rest of your areas of intimacy in your relationship. Psychological intimacy is at the core. It is the foundation of healthy, intimate relationships. Without it, you will struggle. So let me just uh, emphasize a little bit about the, the con- each of these concepts, these subpoints: trust, honesty, loyalty, and commitment as it relates with psychological intimacy. One of the things that I just can't emphasize enough is creating trust. Let me share a story as it relates with this. I was talking to this couple and one of the spouses, one of the partners had consistently lied to their, to, to their partner. They just, they just, they had created an environment where they could, their partner could not trust them. So here they come into my office and when a couple comes into my office and I know that trust has been a problem, has been violated, I can almost always guarantee that there's going to be some type of conflict. Some type of arguing, some type of fighting. It's not, it's it's just a guarantee. And so I said, so how often do you guys fight? And they said, every day. And I said, what do you guys talk about? Well, he did this and he lied about this and he was, he he's just not trustworthy. And I said, okay, so let's step back and say, what are you guys doing now to recreate or to develop the trust in your relationship? And she stopped and looked at, paused for a second. And he said, I've been trying to earn her back, her trust, but she won't let me every I mean I I've tried to be I'm home on time I call her when I'm on my way home I I do everything I can to be accountable to my for my the time I'm away but every time I come home it's it's I just get yelled at I get screamed at and I said well that's normal because you've betrayed the trust you you've betrayed the trust and right now she she's going to take some time and it's going to take her some time to trust you if you expect her to instantly forgive you You're not giving her a chance to heal from what you did, the damage that you did to her. It takes time. He said, oh. I said, okay, so now let's talk about this. You betrayed the trust. You were dishonest with her. Now you're trying to say to her, I'm trying to be as honest as I can. But honesty by itself only comes with time. You have to be consistent. You have to be predictable. You have to be reliable. And then her trust in you will eventually begin to increase. So those are two important concepts. So honesty and trust, they fit very well with the principle of integrity. And integrity is at the foundation of every healthy relationship. You lack integrity, you have problems. So as we begin to talk about this, he said to me, so I'm, I'm doing these things. And she said, well, he is doing those things. And I said, okay, because he's doing those things, does it help you now that we've talked about it? And he, she said, well, it does, but I'm afraid it won't last. I said, that's fair. And he said, I understand what you're saying now. You're having a hard time trusting me because of my actions, and I wasn't honest. He said, if I'm more honest, and, I, and I'm as honest as I can be with you, and you know exactly what I'm saying, and I'm not lying anymore, do you think you can begin to trust me more? And that was a transitional point in this relationship. She said yes, and he said, I will be accountable for my time. I, I promise that I will be accountable. You can Here's my accounts to my, my uh, computer. So you can track everything that I'm doing. Here's my phone records. You can see my cell phone records. Basically, he said, I don't want anything to be held back from you. And that was the beginning point of their reclaiming the trust in their relationship. Now, were were they through? Absolutely not. They still had a tremendous journey ahead of them. But that was the turning point where her anger was able to subside because he had been being accountable. So psychological intimacy in those two forms, trust and honesty, that's an example of it. Now let's look at, let's look at this in another way. If you constantly have lied to your spouse, lie, 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 dishonest, can you possibly expect that they're going to want to trust you or that they will easily trust you? Surely not. So if you have done that in the past, you have the opportunity to either change it now or you will destroy your relationship. It's that simple. You cannot be dishonest. And lie to someone's face and expect them to instantly forgive you and to trust you. So it takes you time and it takes you being consistent. And you also have to make sure that you aren't lying. If you're lying, you will not succeed in your relationship. Sorry, won't work. Will not work. And that's a tough thing to say to people, but it's a fact. You can't lie and expect to succeed in relationships. There's one of my very favorite stories. It has to do with loyalty. And this is moving on to the third sub- part of psychological intimacy the story has to do with uh, ronald and nancy reagan there was a, a big luncheon that they were attending. that that nancy reagan was attending and her husband was not there this is when he was the president of the united states and he wasn't there and one of the high up leaders of of another place another country or, or someone in his own cabinet they made a comment that was negative about her husband she stopped the conversation and she said You are talking about my husband here, and I will not accept it. Do not talk about Ronald Reagan that way. Do not talk about my husband that way. And that changed the nature of that conversation that was being held. But I want you to think about that type of loyalty in a relationship. How many couples actually show that type of loyalty to their spouse? How many people stand up and say, this is my spouse. I don't want you talking bad about them. Now, if you were their spouse, how would you feel if you were Ronald Reagan in that situation and that story was related to you, how would you feel? Well, of course you'd feel like, you know what? My spouse is by my side. Then what would you do for your spouse? You would reciprocate. You would value them. And in a healthy relationship, that's what we do. We are loyal to each other. We stand up for each other. We stick up for each other. That's what healthy people do. They stick up for each other. Now, they don't stick up for unhealthy behaviors. They stick up for healthy behaviors. And if they're finding that they're, say, for example, a a husband is a little bit uh, more negative towards a child, then in private, you would go to that your husband or wife and you'd say, you know what? I feel like you're coming down a little bit harsh on this child. And then you would have a dialogue about it. But in front of your child, you wouldn't be doing that. You show loyalty to each other, but you don't allow for inappropriate behaviors to continue. Now, that's loyalty comes in, also our fidelity one with another. We're loyal to each other. We're faithful to each other. That's a form of commitment that you cannot waver from if you want a healthy, intimate relationship. Now I want to transfer into the commitment part of psychological intimacy. If you're in a relationship and you cannot tell whether the person is committed to you or not, you're going to have problems. I'll give you two separate examples of this. The first example of this is a couple who is dating. They've been on three or four dates. They've gone out, had a good time, and then say the guy doesn't call. Now, we've had three or four good dates. It's been a lot of fun. And I've sensed that he's, he's starting to participate, starting to be a part. We're, we're kind of forming this relationship, but then he doesn't call. And then what happens to the female in this situation? The girl, she says, well, he doesn't like me. Well, if a person is committed to building a relationship, they're going to call you. They're going to contact you and they're not going to just disappear. So that's one example of a commitment or lack of a commitment in a relationship or or to a potential relationship. And my point is this. So many times people say, well, he hasn't called in a week or two, but that's okay because he's busy or whatever. No, that's not okay. If you're committed to a relationship, you don't give significant amounts of time that are just disconnected. If you're going to disconnect, say, you know what? I'm really busy right now, whatever the truth may be. And I'm trying to figure out whether I want to continue in the relationship or not. Now, would that be strange in a dating relationship if somebody said that to you? Yeah, it would. But guess what? It's a whole lot more healthy than leaving them hanging for two weeks. So I'll, so you say, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you because that's the kind of person that I am. I just want to be honest. I'm trying to figure out whether I want to continue or not. I'm trying to figure out some of my own struggles. Let me think about it for a week or two and I'll, and I'll let me contact you then. Would that be okay? Now, that is a person who you know where they stand that's the kind of a person that can create psychological intimacy because they don't play any mind games. They're straightforward. They're truthful. They're honest. And whether that's a male, female, does not matter. That's a healthy way to communicate. Now, I know single people look at me when I say that and say, that just doesn't happen. I say, well, you can start if that's your experience. You could do that. You could do that. Now let's try, take the second example. And this is a married couple. And married couples show commitment to each other by their actions. But I know couples who disconnect and don't communicate for days at a time. And when you don't communicate, your partner starts to question, are, is there something wrong? Is there something wrong with the relationship? Are they going to quit? And what I call the biggest gun comes out. And when the biggest gun comes out, it's, the biggest gun is the threat to the relationship. And that's the D word. Let's divorce. Right? And the big D word is, well, if this doesn't happen or this doesn't happen, I'm going to divorce you. That's the biggest gun possible, and that is the commitment gun that if you threaten that it can destroy your relationship so if you're not if you're trying to figure out your own commitment level in a relationship, you ought to ask yourself a few questions: Why am I committed to this relationship now that's that's a pretty interesting question Why am I committed to this relationship why why am I staying if you're married now this again this is a strange thing to consider but Even in marriages, our commitment waxes and wanes. It goes up and it goes down. Sometimes we're much more committed than other times. And people don't realize that. I mean, think about it. You don't get married and your commitment level is the same. It varies. Sometimes you're very committed and sometimes your commitment may be down a little bit. Why is it down? Because we've got, you know, fighting or the children or we're having financial problems. And sometimes we think it would just be easier to quit. That's a real feeling for a lot of people. But then we get down to the core of ourselves and say, what do I really want? Why am I staying in this relationship? And some people say stay because they are committed to marriage. They're committed to their partner. I was talking with a lady, and this is, this is a very real story that, that just illustrates this point. She came into my office, and she was struggling with her spouse, having a very difficult time. And she just said, you know, he he's just disconnected. We've been married for 30 years. We're not close. He he criticizes me. He yells at me. And I stopped at that point. I said, so what do you need my help with? What, what can I help you with? And she said, well, I want to make the marriage work. I said, okay, that, that's understandable. I said, what do you love about your spouse? She thought. And I said, let me rephrase that. What is love to you? And she had a hard time. She had a very hard time coming up with what love was to her, and I said, "So let me rephrase it. Then, what do you love about your spouse?" And she said, "Well, he's the father of my children. Uh, he takes, he's taking care of me financially. And there's been a few times when I'm sick, he'll actually, he'll actually take care of me." And that was her answer for what love was. And I thought, so she wants to save this marriage, where her her love is that she had children, he financially took care of her, and when she was sick, he would take care of her. And, and, and I'm not a person who says, well, that's not enough reason to stay in the relationship, but her commitment was to this relationship and she wanted to make it work. And as we continued talking, we started exploring what she needed out of the relationship and whether she would get it or whether she wouldn't based upon his responses. I talked with her how to increase her interaction with him in positive ways. I talked about intimate interactions because she said, I really want to try. And so I talked with her about increasing the intimate interactions that she had with her spouse. And for a few weeks, that worked phenomenal. The the relationship increased because she was increasing the intimate interactions. The problem was, is he wasn't committed. He didn't want it to get better. And so his behaviors were not consistent. He loved the intimate interaction that she was giving him, but his level of commitment had waned and he was actually spending time talking with other women. It's kind of hard to help a relationship when the commitment level isn't there. So the question is, are you committed in a relationship with a person who is also committed to the relationship? Psychological intimacy requires two people to be committed to trying to make it better. That's a f- part of psychological intimacy. And I tell single people, if you are the only person who's showing commitment here and the other person is dating other people or the other person isn't willing to give you a commitment, you can't fully give your heart to that person. Or if you do, you will be hurt. Commitment is I earn that. I show you I'm committed. I earn that part to say, I am committed to you. And so we we give our hearts to people when they've earned that trust, when they have earned their, through their behaviors, the commitment from me. And I'm committed to you because together we're working on it. So there's another part here that's very important. The question you have to ask yourself is, why am I motivated to stay in this relationship? And some people say, well, why, what do you mean, why are you motivated? Well, here's what I mean by that. You show people your motivation level through your actions. I'm motivated to be in this relationship because I care about you. And one of the things I would encourage you to do is write down the reasons why you are staying in your current relationship. What are the behaviors or the benefits of staying in this relationship? Now, again, some people say, well, I'm staying because of the children. I'm staying because of this. Well, I want to share something with you. Some people stay because of society. Some people stay because of their parents. Well, my parents would kill me if we divorced or my parents would kill me if I don't marry this person. Ironically, this is what researchers have found, that individuals who stay in a relationship to avoid negative consequences or out of duty are more prone to experience threat appraisals, which could be abuse, anxiety, and self-protection processes. In other words, what happens is they reach inward and they stop excelling outward. They stop succeeding outward because all they're doing is surviving in their own world. So they, if you stay, are staying in a relationship to avoid negative consequences, such as the fear of society or whatever, you might be more prone to get abused. You're going to have more anxiety or you might just go into your self-protection measures and go into a shell. People stay in unhealthy relationships because of fears rather than saying, what is it that I want out of this relationship and out of my life? And is the person I'm married to or the person that I'm dating, are they committed as committed as I am? I was talking with a lady not long ago. She was very committed to this relationship, but the guy that she was dating was not committed. He basically had said to her, well, my family doesn't like you. You're not good enough. But he liked to be around her because she was so loving and accommodating to his needs. And so she'd stay in the relationship, but he would always say negative things about her, always putting her down, always criticizing her. And and finally, she said, I, I realized I, can't, I couldn't stay here because every time I was around him, I felt bad about myself. Well, his level of commitment wasn't nearly as high as hers, but when her commitment level started to go away, she stopped showing as much commitment. Oh boy, he showed a lot more interest. He started coming around because she was detaching. She was realizing, I'm not going to be committed to this guy. And that's an unhealthy game. Commitment levels should be similar. They should be parallel. They should be together. Two couples who are, or two individuals who are working and they're both committed to making it work. Now, when you have those types of commitment, when you have loyalty, when you have honesty, when you have trust, your mind relaxes and it's called psychological intimacy. You have psychological intimacy. I would suggest to you that psychological intimacy is earned in relationships. It takes time to show that type of commitment. It shows time to show that type of loyalty. It takes time to know whether a person is genuinely honest or are not honest. It takes time to know whether people are trustworthy. And far too many people, they get into a dating relationship, they get too physical too quickly before they actually know whether psychological intimacy is a possibility or not. So they put the cart before the horse, and then they think, why are we having problems? You're having problems because you let your hormones guide you rather than really stepping back and looking at the qualities and the characteristics of the person that you're dating. So that's the form of psychological intimacy, and I will tell you this. If you want to have healthy, intimate relationships, you need to start by slowly and gradually Working on the psychological intimacy, you work on verbal intimacy, you work on emotional intimacy, you work on intellectual intimacy, you see whether you are spiritually compatible, and then the sexual intimacy is off the charts because you've worked on the other forms of intimacy, and then sexual intimacy is easier than anything else. So now let me give you an assignment. I've talked about six types of intimacy. I want you to write them down. Let me slowly go through them. And then I want you to put what percentage of your relationship out out of a score out of 10 on each form of intimacy, rank your score of intimacy. So let's start off with uh, sexual intimacy or physical intimacy and give yourself a score out of 10. One being it's very poor, 10 being it's very good. So that's physical intimacy. The next is verbal intimacy. Give yourself a score on verbal intimacy. Uh, Give yourself a 1 or a 10, somewhere along the line. Next is emotional intimacy. Score yourself between 1 and 10. Then do the same for intellectual intimacy, then spiritual intimacy, and then psychological intimacy. Now, look at each of those scores, and what you will discover... Is if you are having problems in your relationship, at least one or more of those areas is not satisfying or is a problem in your perception of the relationship. Physical, verbal, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, psychological. I would suggest to you that if you're having a lot of marital problems, the psychological intimacy is struggling the most. If you're having a lot of problems in your dating relationship, it's the psychological because you don't know how, whether this person is committed or not. You don't know whether they are. If you want to assess whether you're on the right path in a dating relationship, you would assess the verbal intimacy, you would assess the emotional intimacy, you would assess the intellectual intimacy, and you would also look at the physical touch. Are we spending too much time with the physical touch, the physical intimacy, and not enough time on the other forms of intimacy? In a marital relationship, are you doing the other types of intimacy, emotional intimacy, verbal intimacy, intellectual intimacy, spiritual intimacy? If you're doing those four things, your sexual intimacy should be going really well, but they won't be going really well if psychological intimacy is missing. Again, psychological intimacy, without it, every other area is going to suffer because you are not really trusting of one another. So that is an assignment for you to consider the six types of intimacy, I want you to know that if you are going to create true intimacy in your lives, you put those six types of intimacy into your relationship and you evaluate them on a regular basis with the person that you are dating or married to. And as you do that, you will realize, wow, we need to work on this area. I give this assignment to a couple on a regular basis and they come in and say, you know what, what we've been doing, we've been having more verbal intimacy and it's helped our entire relationship. Well, of course it has, because you're nurturing the different types of intimacy. We know for a fact, based upon earlier research that I shared with you, is that women really enjoy the verbal intimacy. Well, guess what? Men aren't that far behind. Men also long for verbal intimacy. They like to talk about their lives. Women like to talk about their lives. Take time. Nurture the different types of intimacy. If you find that you're struggling in one or more of those areas, talk with the person that you're dating. Talk with the person that you're married to. Focus on those things. Improve them. Set some goals, and I'll be talking about that in just a couple minutes. There's one other thing I want to say before I move off of these six types of intimacy. Far too often, people say, well, I'm not in a relationship. Well, and how can I work on these? And I say, you know what? Work on those with your friends. Increase the verbal intimacy. Increase the emotional intimacy. Increase the intellectual intimacy with the people around you. And what you will discover is that you have fun friendships. Because when people have those types of intimate interactions with people, they develop friendships. And the more friendships you have, the more likely you are to feel comfortable creating intimate relationships. If you want to overcome a fear of intimacy, work on those six types of intimacy and you will increase your ability to succeed in your relationships. I can't emphasize it enough. If you want to find and create true intimacy, that's how you do it. Those six things. Now, let me give you a couple of other thoughts before we completely leave this concept of the six types of intimacy. When you are a person who works on these types of intimacy, you are going to be more focused on your own self, because you, you can't do those six types of intimacy. If you've got your own internal struggles, you can't do it. So you're going to spend some time working on yourself and saying, how good am I at the physical touch? How good am I at verbal intimacy? How good am I at emotional intimacy? How am I doing at intellectual intimacy? What about my spiritual well being Am I nurturing my inner self? Because if you're a spiritual person and you want to have a spiritual relationship, you have to nurture your inner spiritual stuff. So you can create those types of relationships with other people. And then finally, how good are you at being honest And how good are you being truthful? And how committed are you? How loyal are you in your relationships? Very important for you to understand. Now, we've talked about in this the last class and today, we've talked about the six types of intimacy and we've talked about intimate interactions. Let me just conclude with a couple of other thoughts as we, as we prepare to close off this Finding and Creating True Intimacy class series. Human beings desire intimacy. I started off this class by giving you a quote by Victor L. Brown. Victor L. Brown, he said, The lives of most people are histories of their search for intimacy, of their attempts to be socially, physically, and emotionally close to others. I want to share a story that is a very powerful story that illustrates these forms of intimacy. And really puts this whole perspective together. I was working with a couple who were struggling intensely. Just he had been struggling with an addiction. He had to cut off from from literally creating intimacy in, in his life and in his relationships. Uh, he would come home from a very long day at work. He would go into his room and he would basically isolate himself from his wife and his children. Day after day, week after week. Finally, she had shut down. They came into counseling. They started making progress. I introduced to them these types of intimacy. They started doing a little bit better. And then he went back to some old behaviors and old habits and old patterns. And she came in and she said, I'm worn out. I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired of trying. I'm, it's just it's just draining on me. And I'm, I, I just am falling out of love. And I said to her, so have you told him this? And she said, I haven't. And I said, well, I think it's only fair to him that you're honest with him and you tell him how you're feeling. And she said, that, that's going to be hard. And I said, okay, well, let's role play what you want to say to him. You just told me that you're falling out of love with him. If you were to tell him that, what would he say? And she said, I don't know. I said, well, let's, honestly, let's look at this. Do you love him? And she said, yes, I love him. I said, but you're falling out of love with him. And so what if you were to say, you know what? I love you, but I'm having a hard time feeling love for you right now. She said, okay, I, I, can, I can do that. And so she was just, she, we role played over the next few minutes and then she, and she went home and, and she said to him, basically what she was doing is she was willing to put her marriage on the altar. And sometimes I tell couples you, in order to create change, you have to put your, be willing to put your marriage on the altar. And she was being completely honest. She said, I want to have more closeness with you. I want to have more intimacy with you, but I don't feel like you care about what's going on in our family life. So as she talked for the very first time in his life. he realized that she was willing to walk out the door and put the marriage on the marriage altar. And he said, for the very first time in my life, I felt loved. Now that's a strange time to feel loved, isn't it? Strange time to feel loved when your partner is saying, I'm willing to walk out this door. And and, and he said, it's the very first time I felt like somebody's, that she expressed her love for me. And I realized I didn't want her to go. And I said, so then what happened? And he said, for the very first time I felt loved, And this is what they came in and said to me the next time he said, initially, I was really ticked off at you for, you know, giving her permission to leave. And I said, you know, I don't blame you, but if we're honest and truthful, that's really how she was feeling. She was willing to walk away from this marriage. And he said, "For I realized that she did love me and I don't want that. And and that began a, a change process in them where he became more focused on understanding the intimacy in the relationship. He had been focused primarily on the physical intimacy and the need for physical intimacy. And she was asking more for the verbal and the emotional and the connection in the home, the connection in the home, the intellectual intimacy. And as he understood these forms of intimacy, then their relationship was able to take off. Then the relationship was able to grow because he realized Man, we this is good. And he actually came in a couple sessions. And as we were talking, he's like, I've never realized I could be so loved that intimacy, this relationship could be so good. I can't believe I've been missing out for so long. Well, of course you've been missing out. You can't go into a shell and hide away from intimacy and expect that your spouse is going to stay there. You can't do it. But the moment you start engaging in these forms of intimacy, life becomes exciting. It's, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's rewarding. And it's worth it. But you have to be willing to pay the price. You can't live in mediocrity. Far too many couples live in mediocrity. I've given you six types of intimacy that take you out of mediocrity and put you into an excellent range where you can achieve the greatest happiness and hope and create true intimacy in your relationships. That's what this class has been all about, finding and creating true intimacy. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm not satisfied yet. Let's go a little step further. I want you to write down those six types of intimacy in your scores, and I want you to write some specific goals that you have to increase those types of intimacy in your relationships. So let's start off with the physical intimacy. How are you going to increase that? What are you going to do about it? Now write goals about verbal, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and psychological intimacy. Set down, write goals for each one of those if you're willing to pay that price. Now, in the, in earlier classes, I've talked about the process of writing down goals. Let me just share a short story with you that I've shared before, but I think it's very important. Goals are incredibly important to helping us get a direction. I'm actually working on a book and one of the chapters in the book is titled Marital Goals. And here's the reason why I'm talking about marital goals. Far too many couples, they get married and they stop living towards their goals. While they were dating, they talked about goals. How many children, they had, places they wanted to visit, rotted, cars they wanted to drive, neighborhoods they wanted to live in, whatever, whatever. Well, now if I was to ask you a question, what are your goals in life? Do you have marital goals? What are you trying to accomplish in your marriage? Get out of debt? Buy a boat? What goals do you have in your marriage? And are you taking the time to work on those goals together? Are they mutual goals? Or are they individual goals? You need to have marital goals. And so I would suggest that you start off by increasing those types of intimacy as goals that will help you strengthen your relationship. I often share this story about a Harvard study that was done in 1979. They interviewed Harvard graduates. Those Harvard graduates, what was amazing is 84% of them did not have goals. 13% had goals, but they were not written down. Only 3% of those Harvard graduates, Harvard graduates had goals. They've done subsequent studies that have found that in America, only about 3% of the entire population have written down goals. So what I'm saying to you today is I want you to have goals written down, written down. 10 years later, those Harvard graduates, those who had written down goals, the 13% were making two times more money than those people who had no written down goals, who had no goals at all. Those who had the written down goals were making 10 times more money than those who did not have written down goals or goals at all The point is if you want to put your finances in order, you, better yet, put your marriage or your relationships in order, write down the goals you have on how you're going to improve it. I've given you six types of intimacy that if you will do those things and you and your partner, the person you're dating, will sit down and write down those types of intimacy and how you want to improve and increase them and talk about them and work on them, you will be focusing on the positive things that help you create true intimacy in your relationship and in your marriages. That's what it's all about. You don't have to live in mediocrity. Take some time, write down your goals, work to achieve them, work to succeed in doing so. In conclusion, I want to conclude with a couple of things. Here's a general concept of how you can succeed in all relationships. First and foremost, you need to be able to find and create a safe environment. Do an analysis. Are you hanging around people who are making your life better? Or are you hanging around people who are making you feel down and horrible and ugly? hang around people who lift you up. You can't hang around by the mud pit and not get dirty. But if you climb the mountain, you're going to be up there with a very select few people because not all people climb mountains, go climb to the top of the mountain, run the marathon, do what it takes to put you in an environment where there's healthy people who are willing to pay the price. If you're single, especially expect people to pay the price. If you're married, invite your partner to join you on a journey up to the top of the mountain. Sit down, talk with them about these six types of intimacy, and then you will be able to find more joy and happiness in your life. Next is return to your high self-worth. In the earlier class, I talked about how to create high self-worth within our own lives and in our own souls. You might want to go review that because if you don't believe you deserve good or intimacy in your life, You need to analyze that and find out why and return to who you really are, a person of infinite worth and value. That's who you really are. Number three is understand the climate of the people around you because the people, the climate around you will help you know who's trustworthy and who's not trustworthy and engage in relationships with people who can be psychologically intimate, honest, truthful, loyal, committed. And finally, as you find and create true intimacy, share yourself with other people. If you're going to be increasing the intimacy in your life and your relationships, you've got to share part of you. That means you've got to be comfortable with yourself. That means you've got to develop yourself, get more knowledge, listen to more classes like this one and increase your, your own awareness so you can have true intimacy in your relationships. If you will do those four things, create a safe environment. Return to high self-worth, understand the climate of the people around you, and then share yourself with other people. You will begin to succeed in all of your relationships. Good luck in your journey to finding and creating true intimacy in your life and your relationships. Don't ever settle for mediocrity.